0: Like the office they commemorate, presidential libraries are living institutions. Certainly it is my hope that the Reagan Library will become a dynamic intellectual forum where scholars interpret the past and policymakers
1: debate the future.
2: Welcome to a Reagan Forum, hosted by the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. The Center for Public Affairs offers lectures and forums presenting perspectives on important public policy issues of the day from politicians, authors, members of the media, business and military leaders, and more. In this week's Reagan Forum podcast, we go back just one week, to October 17th, when we hosted former Second Lady Karen Pence for a program and book signing on her latest book, When It's Your Turn to Serve, Experiencing God's Grace and His Calling for Your Life. As she has said about this book, this is not a memoir, not a book about Karen Pence but rather a story about how God used me in a mighty way and how He gently and patiently showed me how to wear the mantle He was placing on my shoulders. During this program, she sat down in conversation with Chief Marketing Officer Melissa Giller to discuss her book, her life, and her connection with God. Let's listen. Well, thank you for joining us again tonight. We've had you here a few times. You were just here for the debate, so (laughs) we appreciate seeing you again. Um, So I mentioned in the introduction just a minute ago that you said this book isn't a memoir. And you actually say in your book, this is not a book about Karen Pence, but rather a story about how God used me in a right way, in a might way. So my question is, were you actually asked to write a memoir and you chose to do it this way? How did this sort of happen?
0: That's a great question because um, I had a couple of book offers and um, they just really, weren't anything about what I wanted to talk about. One wanted me to do a children's devotional book. Another person wanted me to talk about how political spouses don't do very much. (laughs) And I was like, well, I really tried to do a lot and that's what I want to tell people, so how about we do that? Um, But, uh, so I kind of shopped around before I, I found just the right publisher because I really wanted to encourage people to step up and serve and to not be intimidated and to not be afraid and to share with them kind of how i went on this journey myself and it didn't like i didn't just all of a sudden start out as second lady of the united states just like kids don't come out teenagers <laughs> you know so i i kind of wanted to show the journey a
2: little bit and so that's kind of how it started melissa got it Now, you had a couple of themes in your book that I took away from, um, and one of them was determination and your determination. Do you know where that determination comes from in your life?
0: For me, uh, faith is really central to my life. And um, I, I really feel like when I was young, I had a very deep, deep faith. I didn't have very much knowledge about the Bible, but I had a deep, deep faith. And when I started dating Mike, I started learning more about the Bible. He likes to say that um, he has very little faith and a lot of knowledge. (laughs) And I have very deep faith and very little knowledge about the Bible. And so um, we kind of started learning a lot about the Bible together. But I would say that's where the determination, if that's a theme that that you got out of it, I can see that. Um, You know, my kids I think sometimes get annoyed with me because I truly am an optimist. You know, even when difficult things are happening in our life, I might say, well, but this isn't happening. You know, but this isn't happening. And they're like, yeah, but mom, can we just take a minute and just say, this is rough right now? And I just, I just have that optimistic view. And I think that comes from faith,
2: just trusting that God's in control, it's gonna work out. That's great. Now, before reading the book, you know, I, I, I knew you were an artist, I knew you were an educator, I knew about your faith, um, but there was a section in here that made me smile because you called yourself a risk taker, and I was reading all the things of why you called yourself a risk taker, right, so you, you rode motorcycles, you got your pilot's license, you went skydiving, um, so it made me wonder what you might say is one of your more recent risk taking adventures. Um, Well, probably the
0: one we're on right now, (laughs) I would say, um, you know, because honestly, I, I really felt like our political life was done, you know, and I really felt like I've done enough, you know, 20 years in office, you know, 30 years from when we started. And it was a surprise to me, honestly, that the family was talking about this last Christmas. My daughter Charlotte helped me write the book. And I remember talking to her one day and saying, "You know, I just don't know. I mean, this I mean, I can't believe we would even be considering this right now." And she said, "Mom, maybe you need to read your book." <laughs> and it was like a brick in my face, but I think what actually kind of got to me was, you know, being a Christian I'm glad that Christ didn't say, "I've done enough for you, Karen." You know, I've done enough. <laughs> and I thought, you know, right now it's a time for us to serve, and that's the whole theme of the book. That's the title: "When It's Your Turn to Serve," and and it might still be our turn to serve in some way.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did some applause for <laughs> that one. <laughs> great advice there, Charlotte. Um, You love poetry. You actually quote Robert Frost in the book. And I actually wondered if there are some current poets you're enjoying reading. You know, honestly,
0: well, my daughter Charlotte, I actually have uh, her poem is at the end of the book. It's a it's a lovely poem. Uh, One thing I did was I I wove the theme of bees throughout the whole book. And at the end, uh, Charlotte had given me a poem that she wrote in grad school And it's called um, Her Bees Will Stay, because we started a beehive at the vice president's residence. And we had to leave it there. We weren't going to bring them with us on Air Force Two back to Indiana. (laughs) Um, And so so she's probably my favorite poet right now. But uh, Robert Frost, I loved his poetry as a little girl. And I would memorize his poems and I just absolutely love them for some reason. And when I was in sixth grade, um, his daughter Leslie Frost came to speak at my school and she heard that I like to memorize his poems and so she gave me an anthology of his poems and inside she wrote for Karen because you memorize poetry. And um, I don't know where that book is now. <laughs> but we were just in New Hampshire, and you can probably figure out why, um, last week. And our volunteer coordinator there gave me a book that he had that was written by Leslie Frost. And it's full of her little journals when she was a little girl. And they tell some of the behind-the-scenes stories about what was going on with her and her dad and some of the things they did. and. It made me think of Charlotte because Charlotte's our writer, and she she has these little journals from when she
2: was little too. Yeah. Now, in the previous question about risk taking, and you talked about you weren't sure if it was time again to serve. It kind of leads to this question. So, you had a transition from citizen life, right, to the spouse of a congressman, um, to the spouse of a governor, and then the spouse of a vice president of the United States. Um, I'm sure they're each unique in their own way. Um, how are they? challenging and what might you have missed from citizen life if anything?
0: Well I think one of the things that was challenging for me and um, it's one thing I write about throughout the book is that we moved 18 times Mm -hmm. and (laughs) you know honestly it was that that was tough you know with three kids by the time we did get elected our kids were six seven and eight And so moving with them um, was, you know, tricky, moving all the way across the country. Um, I really didn't leave the citizen life when Mike was a congressman. Um, For me, that period, I was mom, Mm -hmm. teacher, you know, carpool driver. Um, And I talk about that in the book because I didn't want anyone to read this book and think, well, I'm never gonna be called to be you know, the First Lady of Indiana. Um, although we do have a lot of Hoosiers with us here tonight. <laughs> that could happen to one of you, you don't know. Um, but I didn't want anyone to feel like that's what I was talking about in the book. Those are some wonderful experiences I wanted to share. But I also say, you know, sometimes we're just called to be a good neighbor. You know, and that's where we are in part of our life right now. Um, we're learning how to be neighbors in a neighborhood again, and so I really kind of wanted to stress that. But when Mike was in Congress, I didn't do a lot of the congressional things. I, I did some, but that was because I felt like you know Michael, Charlotte, and Audrey were where I needed to be. Um, and but then. When I became First Lady of Indiana, our kids were at a stage where I could be very involved and I really wanted to be a good steward of those years. I wanted to do something that would make a difference in Indiana because I knew I was just gonna have four years or eight years, not a long period of time. And so that's when, with the help of some other Hoosiers, we started the Indiana First Ladies Charitable Foundation and we did one big event every year and we raised money and gave it to charities in all 92 counties. And so for me, that's kind of the message I keep putting through the book is, you know, when you are put in a position of leadership, whether that's, you know, the PTA chairman or organizing the block party, whatever it might be you know god will give you the grace and i tell some funny stories about that period of my life because friends were encouraging me to do things and as first lady and i was pushing back like i can't do all that and then god just kind of wove it all together and all of a sudden we had this great foundation and so that's kind of the message. I, I really want the book to encourage the reader to say, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe God's calling me in this area of my life. Well, I'm going to look into that, you know, and maybe he's not. I also tell the story about when the kids were little and my uh, Bible study leader was just sure that it was my job to lead the next small group. And I said, Oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and she said, Oh, I really do think so. <laughs> and Mike and I prayed about it and talked about it. And I called her up and I said, My ministry right now is Michael, Charlotte, and Audrey. And I do not feel led to do anything but that right now. And so sometimes you have to really, you know, discern is this really what I'm supposed to be doing?
2: And speaking about the leadership, um, you do talk about both your time as First Lady of Indiana and Second Lady of the United States and all of the things you did say yes to and all of the programs and initiatives and uh, the amazing things you did. Is it hard at the end of those eight years, either governor or uh, vice president, is it hard at the end of the eight years to walk away from all of those programs?
0: some of them it was very difficult to walk away from um i think it was uh we loved our time being back in indiana when mike was governor it was just so great i mean we met across the street from the governor's residence so it just was our old stomping ground i went to butler university and it just was so great just being in indiana and so that was you know, as we all know, that happened very quickly, and it was kind of a shock, and, and there we were. Um, so that part was difficult, but I think as second lady, we had just kind of started um, this one group. Uh, it, it was the President's Roadmap to Empower Veterans and End the National Tragedy of Suicide. It was called PREVENTS. And I was asked to be the ambassador of that. And we had started getting all the different organizations and agencies together. And we had them all come to the vice president's residence and we all presented for each other. And we tried to work together. Um, And we were really just getting started on that. And I had done a lot of work with art therapy and the VA. And so trying to, you know, take those programs that help our vets who are struggling with PTSD. And then COVID hit and it was like, they're just gonna struggle more. So that was probably the hardest program for me to lead. Can I just say too, would you please, if you're able, stand if you're a veteran or a veteran's spouse, anybody in the room? Stand up. Thank you.
2: you. Appreciate you. Uh, There was something in your book I liked that I thought maybe you could share with the audience. Um, Talk to us about no flapping. (laughs) Okay. Um, This
0: has just kind of become a story that everybody hears. Okay, so we, as those of you who are Hoosiers in the room know, Mike ran for Congress in 88 and 90 and did not win. And we put that dream aside. And he had his radio show. I had a watercolor business. We had finally had our three kids. We struggled for years with infertility. We had built our dream home. I mean, life was very comfortable. And I have found that when life is comfortable, that's usually when God puts it in a blender (laughs) and says, you know, now what are you gonna do with that? So Mike had his radio show, and uh, that was at a time when this congressional seat that he had run for twice before was open and he was on the radio. So everybody knew where he stood on all the issues um, and we still knew all the donors uh, and we knew the state reps and people <laughs> who are in this room right now um, who, who are people who you know we still knew and we still had relationships with. And so people were saying, maybe you should run for Congress again. and. It was like what we're no we're mm-hmm. done with that dream like we we survived that and we're done, but we felt like just like we did you know this year maybe we need to look at this, so I had surprised Mike with a dude ranch trip uh, for his 40th birthday. I saved all my watercolor money, mm-hmm. and we went uh, to the Teddy Roosevelt National Forest and. It was time for us to decide whether or not we should put our name in the race and so we took a ride uh, up to the top of a bluff the kids were doing their own thing and we got off of our horses and we sat on the side of this bluff and mike said we've got to make a decision it's time like we have to decide if we're going to do this or not And I said, yeah, we probably, it's probably time. And we had just been struggling with this decision. And right then, these two hawks, red tail hawks, started rising on the wind. And Mike is kind of a romantic. Mm -hmm. And he said, those two hawks are like us. And I said, okay. Well, if those two hawks are like us, then I think we should do it. But this time, we should do it like the Hawks. Because the first two times, we were so arrogant and so full of ourselves, and it's such a good thing that we didn't win. But this time, I said, let's do it like the Hawks. Let's make ourselves available, and if God wants to lift us up, then so be it. But we should make ourselves available. And I said, we should do it with no flapping. And right then, we decided to run. And no flapping has kind of been our mantra ever since. And so every new staff member, they hear this story. And believe me, there are times where we have to say to each other, I think you're flapping, (laughs) no flapping. (laughs) uh,
2: um, Which kind of leads to this question because of how you got to the birds. So obviously you talk a lot about your faith in this book And there are a lot of biblical verses. Um, This may be an easy question, or it may be a really hard question. Do you have a favorite Bible verse, and why? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great
0: question. Um, When Mike and I decided to um, start talking about this most recent endeavor, (laughs) um, we started January 1st reading uh, our read-through the Bible in a year, those one-year Bibles, and believe it or not, in 38 years of marriage, we have never done this together consistently. But I can tell you that starting January 1st, up until even today, we have read our Bible together, the reading for that day. And yesterday's was our favorite verse. Oh. Yeah. And it was, it's Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you," says the Lord, "plans to prosper you, and not to harm you; plans to give you hope and a future." And that is just a verse we have clung to. So, win or lose elections, moving, changing jobs, through everything, that verse has really carried us through. And I gave Mike the, uh, you know, a frame with that when we. Um, we're heading to Washington in 2000. Yeah.
2: So um, I'm the mom of two grown daughters, and um, there's a section in your book that really struck me. So there's a lot of Bible verses, but there's another section where you actually talk about momisms, um, and one of yours was, "Teach your kids how to fight for their dreams by fighting for yours." I just absolutely love that. So. Uh, That's
0: Charlotte's that favorite <laughs> mom Okay,
2: I couldn't remember. Um, so I guess, and maybe this ties back to what we've been talking about all night, but so what's your dream that you're fighting for? Um,
1: hmm.
0: Well, I think for for me, a lot of times it's been, um, you know, things that, that I, I love. If I pull me away from Mike for a little while, um, it's teaching and doing my watercolors and writing this book. Um, You know, one of the great things for us was that when we went to Washington, we decided to take our family with us. And I was uh, looking for a place where they could go to school. And I came upon this uh, Christian school and went in and said, I'd like to enroll all three of my kids. I knew we would be moving because we were just starting out renting and see if we got reelected before we bought. And I said, you know, I've uprooted them. I don't want to put them in a public school because they'll have to be uprooted again when we change neighborhoods. And so I looked at the school and they said, oh, well, we don't don't have room. All of our classes are full. And I said, well, okay, Um, I'm a teacher, you know, I've been their art teacher at their school in Indiana, so I'll just probably homeschool and finish out the year. And they said, we need an art teacher. (laughs) And I said, great. (laughs) And it was wonderful because that allowed me to have my own identity in Washington. I wasn't just the congressman's spouse. I was art teacher and mom, and I knew all of their friends, and I knew their teachers, and I had an, an immediate community. And so, for me, I think they have seen me kind of fight for the things that that I really love to do and care about. Um, you know, when they were little, they they would come to my art fairs, you know, Broad Ripple Art Fair or Penrod Art Fair um, in Indiana, and and. They knew that on on my art fair days, you know, mom was an artist, and this was my day to kind of just be Karen, you know, for a day. And so, um, I think that's what I think um, the dreams. I mean, you might ask Charlotte that was. I'll tell you how that started. The momisms was it was election night for the governor, and um, we were at Lucas Oil Stadium. And the Lucas family had allowed us to be in their suite with all of our family members. And the kids said, I knew they had a gift for Mike. Because we kind of mark special occasions with a gift. I'm sure you all do that too. And, and they said, Mom, we have a gift for you. And I went, oh, okay. And it's my favorite gift ever. It's a sil- three silver frames. And in each one, they wrote their favorite momism. And that was Charlotte's, about fighting for your dreams. Michael's was, I'm not gonna let what's going on out there affect what's going on in here. And Audrey's was, I hear you and I'm listening. Because for Audrey, she moved back to Indiana as a senior in high school. And that is not easy to do. And it was really tough for her her senior year one day she called me and i happened to have been in washington for the day at some meetings and i was like okay i'm i'm in washington you know struggling here and i thought no your priority is audrey so i sat down on a bench outside on capitol hill and i said i hear you and i'm listening
2: i love that yeah
0: do you still paint I still paint. Yes, actually, right now I'm doing a painting for Etta. So, who's nice. <laughs> here with us today? But uh, for each one of our kids, um, we did. We chose a. We chose a life verse. They have their own verses, you know, that they've chosen. But when they were little, we chose a verse that made us think of them, and then I did a watercolor to go with it. And it's been the most wonderful thing that our son and daughter-in-law. And now, our daughter and son-in-law have asked me to do a watercolor to go with a verse that they chose for their children. So, working on Edda's right now.
2: <laughs> now, you were a teacher, you, mean you, were, you always are a teacher, you're a teacher. Um, is it right that you actually were a teacher for a little bit while you were second lady? Yes. How, how do you do that?
0: That's crazy, isn't it?
2: I mean, there's a secret um, service in the classroom with you. Like, as I was reading that, I was like, I don't get how this works. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that that was a little wild, but um, here's what happened. Um, so I was about halfway through the first year, and the school where I had taught art called me up and said, um, listen, our art teacher just left. He became a pastor. <laughs> and is there any way you could fill in? Because this... Um, art curriculum I had developed when I came, you know, many years before in 2000, I had developed the art curriculum. I had all the lesson plans. Everything was, you know, you pretty much just come in and teach it. And I said, well, I can't do, you know, back to school night. I can't do teacher parent conferences. I can't do lunch duty, but I can do the teaching. I will come and teach art. It was a two-day job from like 8.30 to 3. And I said, if we can do it on Mondays and Tuesdays, that gave my staff Mondays and Tuesdays to get everything ready for the week. Because in the second lady's office, you don't have a humongous staff. Um, And it took them a couple of days a week to do the advance work on stuff that we were gonna do for that week um, and to make phone calls and all of that. And so I said, you guys do that on Monday and Tuesday and then I'm yours the rest of the week. And the school knew if something comes up, you need to get a sub. So they knew there are gonna be a lot of times where I'm gonna have to say, I can't come in today. And it worked out great. And what it did, again, is it kind of kept me grounded. You know, I, I still had to cut the paper, order the supplies. Yeah. I still had to get everything ready. And it was just kind of good for me to be more in that servant role, you know, I think. It was a little strange having Secret Service. I mean, they would stand in the hallway. There were a couple of them outside my door. But, you know, kids, I mean, once they got used to it, they'd be like,
2: oh, yeah, hi, nice to see you.
0: <laughs> no big deal.
2: More from our Reagan form with Karen Pence after these messages.
1: The Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation is the nonprofit organization created by President Reagan himself, and specifically charged by him with continuing his legacy and sharing his principles, individual liberty, economic opportunity, global democracy, and national pride. We must remain vigilant and work together to share these conservative principles with younger generations. Your role is critical to move our mission forward thank you for your continued support please visit reaganfoundation.org give that's reaganfoundation.org give
2: now back to our reagan forum with karen pence what do you love about teaching the hugs
0: oh <laughs> i miss the hugs
2: yeah um, now, we talked about this briefly a little bit ago when you talked about being asked to be, I think, the Sunday school teacher, and you said no. But you do talk in your book a lot about not being able to say yes to everything. Um, so how do you choose what you say yes to and what you don't? Because you talk about having to choose, but then in reading your book, you might be the busiest person I've ever met. So how do you, how, how do you weigh that?
0: Um, well, you know, the way that I do is I, I do I do believe that... Um, like I want to follow God's will. I mean don't you just wish he would just send you an email <laughs> say no I want you to buy this house. Okay great. Uh, but he doesn't and he wants us to trust him and um, he wants us to let go and just go where he's sending us and sometimes it's not where we want to go and sometimes it is where we want to go but um For me, I found that as I maybe talk to friends, talk to counselors, you know, people who give me advice and pray about it and read his word, which is truly alive, just truly is for me. It has been this year for sure. Then there comes a point you have to make the decision. And once you make the decision, I feel like for me, then that's when the peace settles in. And don't get me wrong, when when you're making these decisions, you know, and we've had a lot we've been making this year, there's a lot of anxiety, you know. It's it's not it's they're not easy choices a lot of times that we're having to make. And and especially when you talk about service. They're all good things, you know. They're they're all great things, and you you want to say yes to everything, but um, but you really can't. I mean, I had a lot of you know. I wanted to do something that had to do with the military. Um, that was my second initiative we started, and but I had a lot of groups coming to me that wanted me to do. I mean, wonderful things like for the VA. And uh, Elizabeth Dole has this wonderful program for caregivers of our veterans. Great, great program. But I just didn't feel like that was where God was calling me. And I ended up uh, going with military spouses. And we did a lot of great things to help military spouses, especially with um, licensing. Like, if you're a hairdresser, in one state and then your spouse who's in the military gets stationed somewhere else, you have to go through all of this you know, stuff to get a, a license in that new state. And it really affects the income of our military families and it affects these spouses. And so we were able to make a, a big difference on that front. And actually I picked that before Charlotte even married a Navy guy. <laughs> now we have two military spouses mm-hmm. in our family.
2: And speaking about all the great causes you've championed, um, talk to our audience about art therapy, um, how you became involved, why you advocate for it, and what benefits stem from it. Well, uh, now art therapy
0: is the one thing I did become aware of when Mike was in Congress. So we were on a a trip to um, Disneyland and there was a lobbyist with us and he heard me talking to this uh, artist and asking, gosh, should I be doing computer art with my kids now? I mean, am I missing the ball here? And he was like, oh, Mrs. Pence, I didn't know you were an art teacher. And I said, oh yeah, I'm an art teacher. And he said, I've got a program you'd be interested in. And it was Tracy's Kids, which is a program for children with cancer. And it's in Washington, DC. I went and observed and I could not believe these kids who were saying, when do I get to go back to the hospital? And I just thought, this, there's something to this. And I started learning more about art therapy and how it helps especially children in the hospital. And then I started trying to get art therapy at Riley Children's Hospital in Indiana. And so uh, the interesting thing is there was a group of um, art teachers and women who love art who had started this Uh, initiative at Riley before I even said I wanted to get involved. So together we did raise private money and were able to uh, start the art therapy program at Riley. They did not go with Tracy's kids because they didn't want to limit it to children with cancer. Then as First Lady of Indiana I discovered the benefits of art therapy for our veterans and um, I went and observed at Heron School of Art a program for our veterans called Combat Paper, where our veterans, and remember, if you've been a veteran for many years, your identity is in that uniform, a big part of it. And when you're trying to transition to civilian life, it's like all of a sudden I don't have that uniform anymore. So Combat Paper is a program where Um, It was started here in California, but where you, uh, the, the veteran chops up with scissors, cuts up his uniform or her uniform into little tiny pieces and then you put it in a pulp machine and then you roll it out and it's a big thick piece of paper that now that veteran can draw something new on or they can stencil something if they don't feel comfortable drawing. And it takes on a new identity for them. And so when I knew I was going to be second lady, I sat down with Melania and I thought, you know, I, I mean, I think I had 42 initiatives as first lady of Indiana. Some of them I just did one day or one thing for them, but we did a ton of stuff in Indiana, but I didn't want to, you know, step out and be too aggressive in my initiatives. I'm just the second lady. So I met with her and said, what are you thinking? And she said, I have one thing I'm gonna do. So I thought, okay, I'm just gonna start with one thing. And I chose art therapy because most people don't know what art therapy is. I didn't know what it was and I was an art teacher. Um, And so our initiative was centered around three parts. First of all, we just wanted people to be aware so that if you're someone who is struggling with trauma of any kind, any kind of trauma, the side of the brain injured in trauma is the verbal side. And so our vets or someone who's going through an illness or maybe has gone through a divorce or any kind of trauma in your life, you can't necessarily speak about it. And the art seems to bring it out. And so I wanted people to be aware of what it was I wanted universities to offer more programs, and I wanted young people to go into art therapy.
2: That's amazing. Um, On a little lighter note, uh, one of the things from your book that I found interesting, but I guess it makes sense, is you talk about how, and I can't remember if it was when your husband was congressman or governor, but it might have been both, um, when the job was new, you were sort of met and were welcomed by other spouses and former spouses. of that politician's sort of wife type of thing, and they helped you learn the ropes. Can you talk yes. about that? Yeah. Well, so when, when,
0: um, when I became First Lady of Indiana, um, th- there is a National Governors Association, and it has these meetings all the time, and there's the Republican Governors Association and the Democrat Governors Association. And so these spouses get together, and they really kind of help you. Um, you know, like, what are you doing for your inauguration? (laughs) I remember them asking me, and I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, what am I supposed to do? I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to plan an inauguration. (laughs) What am I going to do? And so they were wonderful. They were just wonderful. But what I wanted to do in Indiana, because we've had some great first ladies in Indiana, I wanted to sit down with them and ask them, What should I be doing? What tips can you give me? And so uh, Sherry Daniels, of course, met with me at the governor's residence and talked to me about some things to watch for. Um, I met with Susan Bai, uh, who was so gracious, and we became friends. She has since passed away, but she said, nope, we're gonna go to lunch, bring your notepad. I'm gonna tell you everything. And she was just great. And then um, Judy O'Bannon also is very beloved in Indiana. And um, she was wonderful. She had me over to her home and she just talked on and on and on. She had such great things that she did as first lady. And then Maggie Kernan also, uh, we just spoke by the phone. She was a first lady when we had our governor pass away. And so she was first lady for a short amount of time, but they were wonderful. And I, you know, I mean, I, I, I wasn't proud. I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. So like, how, how about you just share
2: with me, what did you guys do? And it was great, mm-hmm. it was great. Mm, it makes so much sense. Now you dedicate an entire chapter of your book to the Secret Service. And I can't imagine how hard, we talked about it when you were a teacher, right? I can't imagine how hard it would be to get used to that 24-hour um protection you know she stepped out but you know your kids all of that kind of thing um but i also have to wonder it must be scary to lose that protection which i think you lost in 2021 so was that also an adjustment no oh good <laughs> <laughs> No, I was so
0: happy the last day. It was really, that's the hardest thing for me. And that's the hardest thing for me now when I was trying to figure out, can I step up and serve again, is the Secret Service. These are the most amazing men and women. They are, and I'll tell you, January 6th is when I really saw it. I mean, when I saw my agent stand between me and where we knew danger was, it really hit home because I I knew that he had two kids. I knew his son was heading to college. I mean, it's you know it's they're real people, um, but it's very difficult having them around all the time. Sometimes they were actually in the basement 24 hours. Um, we we had the transition time from when um, the inauguration of the Bidens happened until my school year was over and Mike finished his transition period. So we had to find a house to rent. And during that period, they were down in the basement, you know, 24 hours. I mean, you know, I couldn't scream at Mike. <laughs> you know, I had to be, you know, honey, could you pick up your socks? <laughs> but it's it's awkward having someone constantly with you. like. I know no no hands need to be raised, but how many of us like to turn on the radio and sing to the radio, and you're you know driving in your car? It's, I just would sit quietly in the back seat. No radio. No one's talking. I don't make phone calls if I don't want them to know what I'm talking about, and it's just a a constant uh, presence. But they are wonderful, wonderful people, and I will tell you, our daughter Audrey. Uh, ended up being a COVID bride. I'm sure you all have had that in, in your circles too. She had rescheduled her wedding three times, and finally she said to us, and this story is in the book finally she said, Okay, Dan and I just want to get married. And Mike's mom and her husband, and our son and daughter in law, and Charlotte and her husband were all going to be in town for election night. And so Audrey said, "You know, I think um, I think we'd like to get married like the Sunday before the election." And she told us this two weeks before the election. <laughs> and we're like, mm, "Great!" Um, and so we did. We we planned it all, and it was wonderful. She actually got married. Uh, Mike did the ceremony. She went on later and had the big wedding, but he did the ceremony. Um, on the sidewalk in front of the courthouse in Washington, D.C. And Audrey had what I will call a love-hate relationship with Max, our, our main Secret Service guy. And, I mean, he went with her on foreign trips when she was in college, and you can imagine, your kids, of like, this was he was not really welcome, let me just put it that way. But in the end, she said, one thing I want, Dad, I want Max to be there. I want him to be the agent who's there that day. Because she had gotten very close to him and they had worked through a lot of issues and they'd been in some dangerous situations too. And so that's what I mean. These Secret Service agents, it's tough, but, but they're amazing people and they make huge sacrifices.
2: Uh, we mentioned this probably in the beginning of the conversation um, about the theme of bees and beehives that weaves throughout your entire book. Um, Do you have a beehive at your current residence? I don't have an
0: active beehive, but uh, Charlotte and Henry actually gave me a little beehive kit to start my own beehive. They They require care. So with all of our travel right now, I thought, you know, I shouldn't really start a beehive right now. I mean, I can get the neighbors to watch the dog.
2: I can't get them to watch the bees.
0: <laughs> and, and what if bees taught you? Oh, the bees have taught me so much. I hope you enjoy the epitaph at the beginning of each chapter of the book. It's a bee fact that goes with that chapter I have learned so much from the bees. They have given me much more than I've given them. Um, they, they just there's something about bees. And you know, I start the book off saying how you know I didn't like bees. Most people are like, I don't like bees. But then I tell how I became involved with uh, beehives, and everywhere I went as second lady, we would visit a beehive if we could. And I mean, all over the world. And we learned how all the different beekeepers handle their bees. And like, for example, I tell the story of Montana. We visited a beekeeper and he said to me, um, I want you to know I, I could tell you which bees They're all buzzing around. Which bees are coming back to the hive? And I thought, yeah, right. You know, I didn't believe him. And I said, okay, I'll bite. How do you know which ones are coming back to the hive? And he said, it's very clear. He said, they're the ones with the yellow pollen on their legs. Their little sacks are full of pollen. The ones going out, their little sacks are not full of pollen. And I looked and I could see how those were the bees that were coming back. And every time I went and visited bees, I learned a new fact about bees. And I thought, if God can give this honeybee who lives six to eight weeks everything that it needs for its little life, surely he can do the same for me.
2: Amazing. Amazing. Um, So I promise these questions aren't hard, but I can't have you here and not mention the election, right? Um, (laughs) MikePence2024.com. So um, for those of you who don't know, she was here, as was Charlotte. I think at a, there in the back of the room, yeah. Um, Three, four weeks ago for the presidential debate. um, How has it been on the election trail, campaign trail? You know what, it's been wonderful. I am so glad God
0: changed my heart and got me excited about running again, because I, I just have to tell you, it's really like old-fashioned campaigning in Iowa and New Hampshire, because these two states take it very, very seriously. In Indiana, our primaries in May, and we don't really wanna put you know our bet on which horse too early, because by the time it comes to Indiana, sometimes it's just two candidates left. So we don't get as engaged quite as early as other states. The people in Iowa, I mean, they are—it, they're never surprised to see you. Which for us in Indiana is like—I mean, Mike always says, if I saw a presidential candidate walk into the pizza restaurant, I would be like, oh my gosh! It's not like that for them. They're like, oh, good to see you again, Mike. Yeah, I was over when you did the thing at such and such, and like some days Mike will do five town halls. Um, actually, right now he's competing with me. Newsmax has a town hall running right now. <laughs> and I said, that's, that's not fair. Um, but because every little group will have a town hall or they'll get their neighbors together. And uh, I didn't even understand what a caucus was. You know, we don't have, we have a primary in Indiana. But these neighbors get together and a lot of them will not choose who they're going to caucus for until January, and they, but they listen and they care. And it's the same in New Hampshire, the first primary. They, they come to everything. Um, they want to know where you stand. They might say, oh, I, you know, I really don't agree with you on most of what you stand for, but thank you so much for coming to New Hampshire. And it's, it's actually been really, really fun. We have had so much fun. Oh,
2: that's great. Now, when he was sworn in as vice president back in 2016, um, he actually swore in Mm -hmm. using Ronald Reagan's mother's Bible, Mm -hmm. um, which is the same Bible that Ronald Reagan used both times as governor and both times as president that we have here on permanent display, and we took it out of display to send to you. Actually, we had someone fly it to you. Um, Do you know why that request was made? Yes, because Ronald Reagan is his favorite president.
0: Um, And I'm not just saying that, because I'm at the (laughs) Reagan Library. Which is obvious, since he (laughs) chose that Bible. But Mike started out as a Democrat, and when he was um, in high school, he was like a Democrat youth coordinator in Bartholomew County. And when he went to college, um, he majored in history, he took classes on the Constitution, and he started listening to Ronald Reagan. And that's when he became a Republican and um, he loves to tell the story. Uh, It might be in his book, it's not in mine, but when we were running in 88, we went to a candidate school in Washington, and um, we must not have paid very good attention (laughs) because we didn't win, but we had the honor of going to the White House and all of the candidates got to sit down for like you know, 20 seconds with the president, get their photo. They could take back to their campaign brochure. And Mike said, you know, I, I just wanted to tell him how grateful we are for what he did for our country. And that's what he said when he sat down with him. He said, I just want you to know how grateful my generation is for what you've done for our country. And Ronald Reagan, I'm gonna get the words probably a little bit wrong, but basically he said, oh, Mike, I didn't do anything. I was just the captain of the ship when the American people decided to turn it around. And his humility and his uh, desire to serve the American people um, just shone through all the time. I got to ask him, we were in the East Room, and we had had the privilege of going to the Vice President's residence and meeting with Barbara. And um, that was just such a treat, but we didn't get to see Nancy. And so in the East Room, he was taking questions from some of the spouses, and, and I said, where's Nancy? <laughs> and he said, oh, you know what? We both went separate ways, but we're gonna be back together tonight. And you know, that's just, uh, one of those special things about him.
2: Well, I can tell you that uh, Bible's been on display permanently since 1991, and except for a very small amount of time when we took it offline to conserve the spine, it's never been off display, except for when we sent it to you. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're gonna end tonight with a question from someone out here, um, because we're talking about Ronald Reagan. And someone wrote, uh, being here at the Ronald Reagan Library, what are the lessons of President Reagan that we can apply to today's world? Great question, whoever that
0: was. That's a great question, because we actually were talking about this because um, Charlotte and Mike um, just wrote another book. He had to write two books. That was his deal with Simon & Schuster. So his second book, they wanted it to be a book about faith and family. And it comes out November 14th, and it's called Go Home for Dinner. And they, Charlotte was just sharing with us that in the epilogue, they talk about Reagan and how um, he says that that all all of those great moments you know start at the dinner table mm-hmm. or something right. yeah. like that, and you know I think one of the things I loved about Nancy too is that um, she like i 'm it may not sound like it tonight, but i 'm very private and and she was very private and she protected. Mm-hmm their life together. And if you take the tour here and, um, or at the, at the ranch, you take the tour at the ranch where you see that, that she didn't let anybody pass that foyer. You know, that, that was their space. And um, I think Ed Meese even said once, he didn't even get past the foyer, that just the entry area, that she was like, no, this is our home. You can meet with them other places, but I took a lot of lessons from from Nancy Reagan, too, and I think um, you know they valued that uh, their marriage and that uh, and family, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah,
2: they really did. Um, so our conversation here is really just. Touched on some of the subjects in this book. So I highly recommend that if you haven't purchased it already, um, we're selling it out in the lobby and we're selling it up in the store. And we are going to now take Mrs. Pence to the store to sign your books. So um, we hope to see you up there. And thank you so much. What a wonderful conversation. Yes, thank, thank you, you awesome. Melissa. Thank yeah.
0: you. Thank you, everybody.
2: This was Mrs. Pence's second book event at the Reagan Library. Her first was back in March of 2018 when she was here with her daughter Charlotte for their children's book. And the Reagan Foundation has also been fortunate to host her husband, former Vice President Mike Pence, at the Reagan Library for events three times over the past five years. To watch the videos of any of these programs, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Reagan Foundation. Thank you for listening. For more information on the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute, including information on how to become a member, information on upcoming exhibits at the Reagan Library, and more information on the legacy of President Reagan, please visit reaganfoundation.org. And don't forget to like and follow the Reagan Foundation on all social media platforms.
0: Until next week, thanks for listening, and God bless you.
1: Don't forget to subscribe to A Reagan Forum podcast in your iTunes or Google Play stores and on other podcast platforms as they become available. New episodes of A Reagan Forum come out every Thursday. Like what you hear? Check out our Words to Live By podcast featuring radio addresses and speeches Ronald Reagan delivered from the 1960s through the 1980s. New episodes drop every Tuesday. And don't forget to follow at Ronald Reagan on Facebook, at Ronald Reagan on Twitter, and Reagan Foundation on YouTube. Also, search for us on SoundCloud and Stitcher.